Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show, guys, girls. Today is episode number 52. It's the first weekend of... August 2020, and man, 2020 just keeps punching. I mean, first of all, finally, when we had some real racing to talk about, some results to get to you from a couple of the double divisionals, I run into a buzzsaw at work and just cannot make the call. So essentially, I was stuck in the pits when the round was being run, and I did not like that at all last week. Thanks to everybody who was hanging in there with me. But uh, 2020 was not done there. Uh, You know about the murder hornets. You know about the Rona, the riots, all the stuff. Yeah, that's all old news. Because now we have zombie cicadas in West Virginia. So that's good stuff. Uh, More great stuff to look forward to in 2020. But the best one, the best one of 2020 so far uh, this is what 2020 hit us with last week. Um, as you guys know, some of you rolled your eyes at me for talking about aliens uh, several episodes ago, but you won't think um, that I'm, I've lost it anymore because last week the Pentagon came out and said, oh yeah, we were lying about Bob Lazar all this time. You probably know Bob Lazar is the guy who told everyone in the early 90s that he was working on flying saucers in Area 51 and that the government knew there were aliens way back then. And here's the thing about Bob Lazar. He got the NASA job because he was big into jet cars. The reason they hired him was because he could figure out how to build rocket ships. In fact, if NASA hadn't hired him when he submitted that application, we would all likely know him as the guy who does the jet car exhibitions during the night of fire events, etc. He was one of us. He was building jet cars in his garage when NASA hired him. So in either event, that happened. We lost him to an outpost of Nevada. And ultimately, he said, hey, this is huge stuff. Why isn't the government telling our citizens about this incredible information? So the government does what they do, which is lie their butts off about everything Bob Lazar told everyone. In fact, the government for the last 30 years has been telling anyone who will listen that Bob Lazar was a lunatic and that nobody should be paying attention to what he has to say. That is until last week when they said, oh, yeah, uh, we were lying and Bob was right. Huge news, right? That there are freaking aliens out there and the government knows it. Or you could say that the huge news was that our government has been lying to us for 30 years. Actually, check that. That isn't news at all. The government lies to us about everything. But um, if all of this, if all of this, the Rona, the riots, the lying Bob Lazar should teach us any of this is that the gov is always lying to us and they are not coming to save us. We are on our own, folks. Save yourself, Fast Brackets Nation. The gov doesn't give a rip. Oh, yeah. All that went under the radar so that we could have Dr. Fauci throw out the worst first pitch in the history of baseball. So, 
you know, all that stuff happened in 2020. It just keeps coming at us. Hard to deal with a little bit, but uh, we did get some great news last week. And so we should really highlight this. First of all, the Fast Brackets podcast had a couple milestones while I was thrashing in the trailer. First of all, we rolled out the best of episode, which truly I never even thought was possible when I started this. But uh, when I did have some time scheduled off, I wanted to remind everyone of our sponsors and the great dudes who have supported the show and all of you in the nation. So do me a favor and let me know what other best of segments you'd like to hear. Uh, The way 2020 is going, we may have to head that way again at some point. You know, maybe you like the water box segments. Maybe you like the out of the groove segments. Whatever you like, let me hear it. I'd be happy to put that together on the chance that I won't be with you one week. But the other great news for the nation was that we hit 20,000 plays of the Fast Brackets podcast. That means 20,000 times someone has hit that override button and said, I want to listen to the Fast Brackets podcast. 20 grand is a nice number, everyone, so nicely done. Um, And with that, it means that we are in the top 200 of all podcasts that cover anything automotive. So the chase for the top 100 is on now. And you know how you can make that happen. You can help me get the word out. You can hit the Facebook, Twitter. You can repost. You can make comments. Run this thing through the algae rhythms that Zuck has put together and uh, help us, help us get the word out about Fast Brackets Nation. Um, so with that said, with uh, the lying and the craziness and the good news, we have a great episode for you this week. I mean, it's really, really great. Uh, we've got an unbelievable guest coming up. Kelly Harper, who is a standout top sportsman racer out of Division 7, is going to come on with us and talk some racing. I cannot wait to get to it. So let's go do this thing. Get to doing whatever it is you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute to work, clean the shop, work on the old heat, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get this thing hot. Let's put the tires in the water box today. And I will tell you, folks, the first week in August is not the day for the State of the Union um, about the NHRA drag racing organization, but we need to address a couple of the big issues that have reared their ugly head over the last week. And the first of those issues is John Force taking a gap year for 2020. Uh, He simply won't pull out the rigs of the shop there in Brownsburg this year. He released a statement and simply said, I can't make it work. Uh, this year for what I've got committed to my sponsors. Uh, But if I pull the plug this year and we get back at it next year, then we will go on as business as usual next year. And truthfully, I can respect that. As Kenny Rogers once said, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. So it looks like John is going to fold that old hot rod for this year. And uh, we will likely see him on the flippity flip next year, which bad for our sport, but uh, we've all got to make the right decisions for us, and that is clearly the right decision for John Force Racing. The second item here is that there was a wild rumor this week that the NHRA was filing for bankruptcy, and that had some of the NHRA support rigs repoed 
this week. This just seems too wild to be true. Um, first of all, uh, almost immediately, our guy Brian Loans came out and said this is emphatically not true. He would have inside information, so no reason not to believe him on that. But secondly, I can tell you that there are a bunch of rigs, and it looks like the exact same amount of rigs that were there for the other national events parked right now as I record this on Wednesday afternoon at Lucas Oil Raceway, ready to be used for this weekend's event. That's not rumor. That is a fact. I saw it with my own eyes, and I am telling you. So I guess we could pull out the financial statements and probably should on the NHRA. It's a public company, and the tax returns are there for public record. So we can see exactly what the P&L and the balance sheet looks like for the boys in Glendale. In either event, getting anything repoed right now is a little bit of a trick. The banks legally couldn't repo anything during the Rona lockdown, and they wouldn't know what to do with the logoed up and loaded down NHRA rig even if they got it back. So that doesn't mean that the NHRA isn't struggling financially. This can't be a good thing for the org. It can't be a good thing for anybody who lives in Brownsburg, actually, uh, but the But the big N relies heavily on fan attendance for revenues, and legally they are limited to the butts in the seats this year. So it most decidedly would be a bare-bones Christmas party in Glendale, um, which is not really great for any of us. That said, I don't believe the rumors just yet, and I think we should absolutely be grateful for the events that uh, we will get to see this year. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and perform at this year because it is not all what we are expecting in terms of availability. So I say enjoy it while we can. All right, guys, girls, let's put this thing in the beams presented by thisisbracketracing.com. On with us now from Peoria, Arizona. He's a longtime bracket racer, super gas, top sport. He's just a drag racer. Um, I had the Good fortune of meeting him last year in Vegas, and I was so excited when I saw that he won the Division 7 Top Sportsman Race in Sonoma. I had to bring him on, so on with us now, Kelly Harper. Kelly, how are you, my man? I'm good. Good. Thanks for having me on. No, welcome to the show. Uh, I was really excited to uh, see you get that nice win. I know that's uh, you've, you've worked really hard to get that done, but before we talk about that win, let's go way back, man. Um how did you ever get involved with drag racing? Where are you from originally, and how did this uh, addiction start? I, uh, I'm originally from uh, Kansas City, and probably like everybody in high school, uh, you know, grew up around, excuse me, grew up around, uh, you know, race cars and things like that, and had a 70 split bumper in high school that uh, messed around a little bit, and we had a uh, a thing back there called the high school drags, where once a year they would basically have a drag race for all high schools and it was a a huge event and just always enjoyed that and you know it aspired to be like all the top fuel and funny car drivers at the time but uh as you know as things changed sold the car went to college career started um really got away from it until probably 2006 i'd moved to phoenix arizona in 2005 um had gotten established on some other stuff where I could maybe take a look at, at adding another hobby and uh, went out uh, to one of our local tracks here that's unfortunately no longer there, but Speed World, which is, is a 
pretty synonymous with a lot of people in uh, in the desert area. But just went out there literally on a Saturday, kind of watched some bracket racing, met some people, and became friends with them. And within about uh, six or seven months, decided I wanted to buy a car and start doing some bracket racing. So 2006 is really when I got into the four-way of actually racing. And So what was the first car that you bought that uh, was a real drag car? I ended up buying a uh, a mild steel 2006 Cutlass that a guy in Kingman, Arizona had for sale. And basically, it went all through it. It was turnkey, had a, a uh, 598 big block Chevy in it, and uh, kind of maybe jumped in a little bit above, you know, went on racing junk every night, looked at everything possible, and ended up going with that, but had a lot of help here from local racers, ran it on a throttle stop, ran, you know, mid to low nines, just in super pro, and probably ran that car for two to three years, just uh, racing locally. And then um, started doing a few divisionals and super gas. It was probably, you know, 990 at 156, 158, had a great time with it. And uh, it, it proved to be a, a good way to jump into the sport and, and get used to things and uh, had a lot of help from, from the local guys. Yeah. So the, you were hooked then and then you kind of, uh, kept it rolling a little bit what other cars have you had along the way well during that time um running the divisionals it, it always seemed to be when when top sportsman and top dragster would run you know we we definitely went up there and watched and uh watched from the big end you know and was just kind of enamored with uh you know more the door car uh all out speed and and fast bracket type running so started looking at that um actually went back on <laughs> racing junk and all the sites just looking at anything that might uh, might come up for sale and a a uh ironically another 2006 don s cutlass came up for sale but it was full chrome ollie 60 cert ended up buying that car um out of pennsylvania and put together a motor for it that um we felt we could run and at that time you know 780 790 would qualify so that's really where we started out, sold the other car, and uh, just jumped into, you know, the top sportsman-type racing. I had to give up the bracket racing at the time, obviously, because couldn't really run a car like that every weekend. So just jumped in and wanted to go uh, go faster and, and enter that class. Ran that car for, for two years and um, was, you know, as the class got faster, started to get faced with, you know, do we put more money into this car and make it faster or maybe start looking for something else? And like everybody else aspires to have, you know, a nicer car. And um, a 2007 Don S GTO became available turnkey out of New York. It was uh, formerly uh, Tommy Turner's car. So I I uh, called Dennis at Sing Customs, who had helped me with the Cutlass, um, as he was one of the, with Don S during the end of uh, Don's, tenure and building cars so dennis knew the car knew it was a great car so ended up buying that uh it was a 632 ran 730s to 720s and we ran that for about four years um just evolving through you know really just running top sportsman and getting used to that car um eventually put a, a 674 in it and got a got down to about 690s was our best with that car and we had we had some good success with it. Didn't win any races, but it was definitely a competitive car. And then in 2017, um, bought the current car we have, which is uh, 
an RJ67 Mustang that uh, was was raced out of Division Two by Dylan and Robbie Stott Stott Ford. They're uh, they're actually the D2 sponsors, so they ran the car for a lot of years. And when I saw it come available, just always really liked that body style. So um, probably not the smartest decision to be buying race cars where you sell your other one. But that seems to be how we <laughs> keep going forward. Well, you can't so, uh, you can't act like any of this is really smart financial decision making you know what we do no but, uh, but that's all right <laughs> absolutely not but you know when these when cars do become available there it's not like there's there's 10 available so sometimes when opportunity comes along you've just gotta um you know we we ended up buying that car in september of 17 and, and started with it in the 18 season 18 season so you know anytime you change cars it's really even though it's it's a good piece. It really requires starting over with it and going, you know, through it head to toe, just checking everything and getting it set up for what, uh, for what, uh, you're trying to do. So. No, that makes and, perfect uh, sense. I, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Cause I know you change gears then a little bit in terms of power plants. And, uh, so tell us about this Mustang that you run now, walk us through that, uh, chassis and uh, well, the power plant and all that. Well, it was originally built with uh, for a big block Ford on uh, on nitrous, so it was probably you know six sixty six seventy car when uh, the Stotts ran it. When I bought it, we simply transplanted the the power plant we had, the six seventy four, which was an NA motor, and it did okay. I mean, it was again six ninety seven flat, but the car was really built for a lot more power. And in, in talking to you know uh, Rick and Ricky Jones and Dennis. You know, double frame rail car will work, but it really works a lot better with the power that it's designed for. So um, we started looking at what we could do and decided on a, a 540 with um, with a roots blower rather than a pro charger. A lot of people obviously go into pro charger, but we didn't, a couple things, we didn't want to take away from the looks of what, what the car had and, and what I thought was a great look. And um, so we decided on a roots started seeing people on top dragster have quite a bit of success with it and had some conversations with people and decided to go that way. So once again, at the end of the season in 18, here we go, you know, selling engines, having a new engine coming in a new combination, which the uh, switch to a blower in a non blower chassis, non a chassis that was not designed for a supercharged application to start proved to be, a little bit more encompassing than we thought based on the containment tank in the back. Um, not quite pro mod rules, but pretty close to it. So, you know, you've got to have the containment tank in the back, the tubing running up to the engine for that system, which in a lot of cars that are built that way, it runs through uh, some of the chassis. In this case, we couldn't. Right. But uh, really got through all that. Um, and knew it was going to be a big learning curve, which it has been, but we really took the 2019 season just to get our feet wet and get a, you know, number one, a tune up that's not going to burn it up. And number two, something we can work from. And, you know, that, that proved to be an evolution. I mean, I, I started out originally buying uh, my original blower and set up from, from Phil Unruh that had run that in top dragster for years and really kind of helped. And, you know, this is where you should start along the way. Um, uh, the blower shop had started using what they call an XR1, which is, again, a 1471, but it's a lot more efficient, meaning 
less overdrive, less wear and tear, but also more power because we don't have to drive it near as hard. So mid-season last year, we switched to that blower, and it really seemed to to start our program in the right direction, not having to push it so hard and, uh, you know, getting the results we need while having a tune-up that's that's raceable because, you know, while it's, while it's fast bracket racing, it's still bracket racing. So, And tell our yeah. listeners, like, when you say you're not pushing that hard, like, what, what type of ET range are you at right now? Um, we've been a best of uh, 655, but if you if you look at the 655 and then you look at the mile per hour, I mean, we've ran 218 with it. So it's really obviously making a lot of power on the other end. But one of the things that we stuck with um, for cost-wise and, and knowledge of it is we're still with a mechanical fuel injection rather than uh, EFI that has been adapted to a lot of the roots applications. So for us to get the car down the track, it's really through the grid and through timing, getting it through the first 300 feet. And then the car seems to be really happy. And as far as setup, we're, you know, with the XR1, we're down 18, 19% is all we overdrive the blower and push about 31 to 32 pounds of boost at the end through the lights, which is, you know, still a couple pounds of boost under what the engine's built for. The goal is, you know, make our 60 to 75 runs a year, you know, between freshens and not, not have the issues. And we, we really don't from a, from a, I mean, the engine was built new and it was built for a blower. Basically it's a, it's a 540 that is the same application for a procharged engine. They're really identical. It's just what supercharger you're using on it. So um, from that standpoint, if you look at, um, you know, the, you know, in top sportsmen today, 620s to you know yeah there's some cars in it you know brian laflamme um lester a lot of those guys can go a lot faster than the index and it's but they're doing it and they're also very competitive so it's how do you get the faster et and still be raceable so um you know we've we've got 640s in it easily if we want to push a little harder and it's it's very incremental to get there yeah you're at 650 and you want to go a tenth faster well, it just, that's it. Just seems so. It may sound, you know, it may sound easy, but it's you know you've got a tiptoe on it. Well, it just seems so amazing so, to me that you know you would go, ah, oh, we're not pushing that hard, and we're running six fifties. You know, <laughs> it just yeah, seems yeah. Like it's pretty. <laughs> we, it's pretty amazing where the technology's at and what we've learned over the years. Yeah, when you look at it, and you, you know, you were trying so hard to go, you know, a six second pass. That's what everybody strives to, and then you're like. Well, now we're going 650s and we're not pushing it that hard. Right. Well, when you look at that, where we were at a year ago, it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that that's amazing um, that uh, that you did that. So it sounds like, I mean, you, you've got that blower combination pretty figured out to where you want it right now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, we'll go to a track. We'll look at what the weather's probably going to be for that for that weekend. And we'll know a, a pulley selection so we can – the pulley selection basically depicts what boost we're trying to run. And we're really trying to run the same boost at every track. It's just what are the atmospheric conditions that we have at that time dictates how much boost you need. And it's it, it's really probably between one of three pulleys. It's not a huge swing unless you're going to somewhere like like Denver or you're, in, you're either in mine shaft conditions or you're in really bad conditions. That's really the only time that you've got to uh, – make a big swing. Yeah. Makes so sense. It's, 
you know, and a couple of real benefits to it is it's, you know, you, you change a pulley and you uh, change the main pill and you're pretty much ready to go. And, you know, I think with going with the roots and the, you know, the hat sticking out of it, we get, we get a lot of compliments on it. So I think that was another driving factor is we really wanted to keep a, a good look for the car. So. Well, it is, a, to, it is a great looking car and um, uh, listeners of the show know that I, don't say that very uh, lightheartedly about Mustangs all that often, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is a great looking car. And I have to ask you about that a little bit because you, you know you mentioned you had the Cutlass, you had the GTO, so it was kind of GM centric, and then you flip to a Mustang. Like I, I'm not a psychiatrist, but you're not schizophrenic, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. You know, there's a few body styles that you look at when you're looking at cars, and it's like, well, it's not really what I would go to, but that is just a really good looking car. And I think the 67 Mustangs have, have come on in the last few years, but I always liked that look, you know, it, uh, you know, the 66 Chevy twos, it's like, what's the next car you're going to build? And I've had the new body styles and always kind of wanted to go. I mean, the Cutlass was a, was a really great look car, good visibility. The GTOs were always real sexy, but you know, you kind of turn back towards the, you know, the classics, if you will, the, you know, Chevy twos, the 69 Camaros, the, you know, 57 Chevys and all their different alterations of bodies. That's kind of what you go to and you throw the 67 Mustang mix in there and it, um, you know, when one comes available and it's a car you've watched over the years, you're like, wow, that's a really good looking car. And I wasn't really looking when it, I actually didn't see it on racing junk. I saw it on Facebook and it was just kind of one of those things you glanced over and it was like, hmm. then you call and you start talking to him and, before you know it, you're going to look at it. So. <laughs> I've been there, brother. I have been there. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that, hey, that, you know, going to a new car, making chassis adjustments, making, you know, going to a blower setup as opposed to a nitrous setup, it, it, there's just a lots of changes. Um, and I know you had some help kind of getting all that stuff there. Tell us who has been instrumental in helping you sort this thing out. Well, from the very beginning, I've been actually extremely lucky to have uh, a gentleman named Mike Scott that has been with me since uh, my first Top Sportsman Cutlass that's raced all his life. Uh, you know, don't want to age him, but, you know, 40-plus years of experience and just a not only a racer, but a really good, well-rounded, you know, mechanic and knowledge of everything. So problems you have with trailers or motorhomes, generators or whatever, it's always always able to, to jump in and help. But... Um, you know, along the way, he, he has raced, uh, various things and had, uh, some blown altered experience. So we kind of really, when we started discussing, you know, you can either run huge power plants and a, or with nitrous or with pro charger or blower, his experience was, you know, with, with blown alcohol. So that kind of started to dictate it. But as we looked at it more, it, you know, any, anytime you're going to go fast, you're, it's not put it on the battery charger and put gas in it. That's just not the way those cars are raced. Right. But um, so in talking with him, that seemed to be the direction we were going to because we had more knowledge. And obviously, as everybody knows in this sport, people are as important as, you know, the ability to do this because without the help, you just can't do it. It's, it's not a one-man operation. It's, you know, it's not a two-man operation most of the time. But so um, most of my uh, – most of the time in top sportsmen, I've been with Joe Jolly from Sunset Performance, and he built 
you know, a 632 force and then a 674. So when we started to go down the blower route, um, obviously, and, and looked for his direction on the 540 and what it would take based on boost and and uh, those aspects. And, uh, you know, again, it really mirrors the pro charge setup as far as, you know, blower block, blower crank, gotcha. all that stuff. So Joe basically built us the long block. With that, obviously, everything changed in the chassis, you know, due to the weight requirements. And top sportsman, if you're supercharged, 2,600 pounds, we had to add quite a bit of weight to the car as well as percentages, um, you know, where the weight is, all the other things we had to change, which, you know, Dennis from Sin Customs was instrumental in that again, which, you know, really speaks to, you know, the guys in, in drag racing because he's, he used to work for Ness. He's a chassis builder, and I own a Rick Jones car, but, you know, and pick up the phone and, you know, he helps me as much as he can. So it's not, it's not just about selling you something. It's about helping you. Yep. But, um, so when we went, went the blower direction, as far as getting it, you know, initially set up, um, in talking in the pits and stuff, Randy Anderson's name kept coming up, which, you know, Randy Anderson of, of Brad Anderson fame and top fuel and drove funny cars and his sister, Shelly drove top fuel. And he's a, are kind of big names and you're like, well, you know, we're just running a blown alcohol deal, but you know, his services and setting the hat up and the original injection sent it all over to him and got it back. And it was basically, you know, started up and went right to idle. So we had, and Randy's been, you know, continuous um, help along the way he's there. So, you know, Hey, it's, it's idling a little this way, or it seems a little lean, you know, comes right over and helps us out. So um, that was a real big help. And then, for, for baseline tune-up, um, we've started using a program that uh, Jim Maroney had come up with years ago. And, and yeah, I don't know if you know Jim, but he's he's campaigned independently in top field the last couple of years. And uh, America Flowtech is his company. And, you know, he's helped us along the way just get a, a program that we could use to, you know, like anybody else, hey, the air's changed this much. What? How do we rejet the car to, to keep it not only happy but consistent? Right. So. Um, a lot of help there, you know, a lot of the other folks that help us when we switch this new blower, it's, it's more of a setback, which with a door car, you got to most of the time make provisions for the windshield because the blower sits back farther. Well, this car wasn't a blower car. So, um, CKR Fabworks, Lloyd Coker's good friend of ours. We've raced with a lot of years. He, he, uh, jumped in and did that for us and does all our fabrication. So, um, you know, and then as you go on down the car, you find more more issues we switched uh switched to the big bubba like a lot of a lot of guys and top sportsmen and mike justin and mickey thompson they've been real helpful in you know getting a tire that we could could really work with as well as you know where we should be on the setup of the tire and uh you know we use cohen engineering for all of our uh, transmission needs and walkers and you know we'll make we'll go out on a test weekend send them our race pack data and they can come back and tell us what stator we're running and not running. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a long journey because it's not just put the motor in, put a certain setup in it and hopefully you get lucky. Cause it just, it just doesn't happen that way, but it's a lot of really great people have, uh, you know, offered their support and help and it's, it's finally paying off. It paid off big brother. I mean, you got it in the winter circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Finally, that was, uh, that was a long time coming. I know a lot of people race many years and don't get there, but, uh, you know, one of the, 
one of the comments kept getting from a lot of people was uh, the perseverance paid off. And sometimes you don't look at yourself like that, but you know, people notice that in 2019, while we had some success, it was success moving forward, but it definitely was not without its pains. You know, a lot of work. You go to a race, and you know, sometimes you're ready. You think you're ready to go, and you can't even get through qualifying. So, it uh, perseverance is definitely a good word for it. Sounds like you're talking about life, man. Is what you're <laughs> talking about. Yeah, race cars are really temperamental. Sometimes they just don't want to participate and sometimes it's not your weekend so we've definitely been on that side of the coin yeah um well tell us when you when you pulled the rig into uh, the sonoma and you were like hey unloaded this thing did you did you feel a little bit different like did you feel like hey this may be the weekend or walk us through that weekend a little bit well it it um it, it kind of was actually it had a lot of um, caveats to it. Ironically, Mike has never missed a race with me, and this race he wasn't able to go um, because of a, a medical emergency <laughs> within his family, which turned out good. We're very thankful for that, but obviously uh, some other things are more important racing, and he needed to stay here. So we got together, and he makes a lot of the decisions on, on the tune-ups, so we, we covered that and what we should do. And I was able to... Uh, uh, have a local racer with me, Austin Downing, whose family, Brian Downing and Dwight Downing, they've raced forever. And young guy, young uh, uh, super pro racer, local person, but was able to get the time off of work and said, yeah, I'll go. And it's those kind of, okay, well, things are, you know, they go from, well, maybe we won't go to the race to, okay, yeah, we're going to go. You know, and then you you couple it with everything going on in the world today. You know, Kyle Seipel, you know, right up until the race was, you know, in communication with everybody. Yeah, we have a green light, but, you know, in today's world, especially California and places like that, who knows? Right. So we got there, um, got unloaded. Everything was good. They had a test day on Wednesday. We didn't test, but the reason we didn't test was in Phoenix, we ran, you know, 655, 656, 658. So, I really felt like we had a good basis going into Sonoma. And while it had been six months, there really wasn't a lot to change. Made the the pulley selection based on what uh, on what the weather would be at Sonoma, and, and really came right off the trailer with uh, um, the combination we were looking for. I mean, we were lucky enough to go to number one on the first qualifying hit and stay there. Our, our first two qualifiers were within seventh hour of each other. So it was like, okay, we've got, we've got a good basis to start from. And, and, uh, the car was doing well. So we went into, uh, went into, uh, first round and we're lucky enough with an odd number of cars to have the buy run. And just to back up a little bit, ironically with the way this race ended up, uh, very good friends with Pat War and Brian War, and when Mike couldn't go, Pat War, who wasn't racing, was like, "Well, I'll be able to help you and tow you up, and and provide assistance." Well, ironically, his brother is who I end up in the final with. <laughs> oh wow! So, so and just to uh, clarify, you you got the first round by because you were the number one qualifier, correct? Right, right. So, and that's the first time we'd ever done that as well. So, um which really wasn't the goal, but with the cars that show up or don't show up, you start to realize, Hey, we, we got a real shot at being number one and had a game plan in place that if the first hit didn't get it, we would step up to a different pulley, which would 
probably put us there, but we didn't we didn't need to uh, do that. So we came to first round, um, got through that. You know, like every racer, when you get a, a freebie, you definitely use the data that uh, that you don't have, or you know, just get the data. So we were able to get that. But you know, going into second round, I had Jeff Gillette, which is always tough. Does really well. Is actually local in Sonoma. So. But, you know, Jeff and I raced a lot, but we were we were just on that steady eddy path. We had, you know, Austin was, was doing a great job. We had a another young racer, Sean Hart, from the war camp who was running Super Cup but helped us as well. So, really, it was kind of a, a filling crew, if you will, that were not familiar with a car like that that just did phenomenal all day. But um, we were able to get past, uh, you know, Jeff Gillette in the second round. And that's really where it started. Okay, you know, maybe things are going right. The lights are good. Right. Um, the car's dialing. You know, third round, we had Mira Silva. She's, you know, long-time top sportsman, top dragster uh, racer. You know, tough. There's no there's no gimmicks anymore. It's, you know, every competitor is, you know, top sportsman is, you know, one or two hundreds and, you know, 25 light or better, really, if you want to go some rounds. So, um, got by Mira, and, you know, just as the day went and started to progress, you start thinking, you know, is it my day? And and then fourth round, had another local, Frank Rodriguez, he uh, unfortunately went red, but a really good racer as well. And it was that, you know, the gas and go time, trying to get it done because it was double. Right. And then in Sonoma, when the sun gets to a particular point, you just can't see the tree and you can't see down the track. So, um, put racing on hold for about 40 minutes, gave us time to catch our breath, gave us time to do a little service that we weren't able to do. So when we got back up there, um, you know, alcohol was running in front of us. So you really got a time span of about 45 minutes to an hour that the final occurred after everything else. So it's like really watching the weather before we leave the trailer, putting a tune up in it, got up there and, you know, it's just, it was the first final we were going into and, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, bestowed to have it, I would have Brian in the final, which, you know, Brian's, Brian's car has been on a tear and he's a really good racer as well, but it, it just, it was kind of the theme of the day. You're racing with your peers. They're all good. So we just kept a collective, uh, a collective, you know, mind about us and got up there. And the one thing with the double is, on the first race, everyone is still there. So when it goes to your class in the final round, basically the top sportsman class is up there watching. Ah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so you know it. You know, it's like you've got all the guys that you you race with up there, but yeah. really just didn't just didn't uh, didn't let that get in our head and went out there and had a great race and uh you know, it was it's kinda weird. You see the wind light come on and you're so happy and then you get up there and there's no one there. <laughs> it's <just laughs> right. you and the other racers right. just sitting yeah. there. And it, it takes them a few minutes, but it was it was really cool because there was just this, you know, onslaught of golf carts coming up the hill. And, uh, you know, Rich Okerman, you know, handed me a beer before, uh, you know, I could even, you know, <laughs> start hugging anybody. So it was... It's one thing to win, but it's another thing to do it and have all your peers that you aspire to to win like they do and they were all there so it was just you know you can't you can't say one bad thing i mean it's just 
all these guys, you know, you see in the winner's circle and, and you know, Doug Kremlich, you know, Rich Oakerman, Rubicek, all these guys, and they just couldn't have been nicer. So it was it was a great day. My best day of racing for sure. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, congrats on that one. Uh, I know it was uh, – Thanks. You know, you battled it out. You got it done. Nice, you know, nice work with that. Uh, Kelly, really appreciate you coming on with us today, uh, talking, you know, racing and, and your big win there. So congrats to you on that one. Good luck the rest of the season. And, you know, get another one and come back on and talk about that one too. I, I hope it continues where they say you get your first and then they uh, then they start coming easier. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but that's what we're going to hope for. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Guys, girls, that was the great Kelly Harper. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. You know that. Ed Harney's there for you if you need him. And guys, girls, I was really disappointed not to be able to get with you last week because we actually had a lot of drag racing action to cover. We had the double in Columbus with the Jag Sports National. We had the double in Topeka. We had the double in Sonoma. And we had a PDRA event to cover. I mean, those were four great events um, and a lot of action. So I'm going to cover that quickly for you now because it is, it is just very nice to actually have some winner circle picks to discuss. And let's start um, in Columbus, Ohio. First of all, that was the Division Three event. First on Thursday, Friday, then the actually they went to Saturday, and then the Jeg Sports Nationals uh, was right following that. Kind of finished up Jeg's Speed Week there. And starting in Top Dragster, that Division Three event, there's some breaking news here. And we'll start with this. Danny Nelson is good at drag racing. Danny Nelson comes off his final round finish in Indy the week before and beats Anthony Bertozzi in the final. To keep things absolutely rolling for the man with two good eyes this year um, and the number one on his scoop. So that was... Uh, Really, you know, Danny just keeping things rolling. And on the top sportsman side, then your winner was Kurt Frederick. He gets the win over Glenn Butcher in the final that was ran on Saturday. Kurt was good enough to win in Indy the week before, actually, but collects his Wally on the first leg of the double on Saturday night in Columbus. Then we had the Jeg Sports Nationals. And uh, if you're not watching it on TV.com, I don't know what you're doing. Like, that is good, good stuff. Um, our buddy Warren Evans does a great job there. So we've got to watch all that action with Danny and, and Kurt winning. And then the Jeg Sports Nationals came on, and your winner was Anthony Bertozzi. So he gets the win on Monday. Man, AB loses one round the whole week. I mean, that's amazing in top dragster, just killing it. Um, and then on the top sportsman side, John Benoit comes from the number four qualifying position to get the Wally. So congrats to all those competitors in Columbus. Now going to the Midwest in Topeka, Kansas, there's Division Five double there. And your first winner on top dragster was J.R. Baxter. He was your first ever U.S. Nationals top dragster winner and gets it done in Topeka as well. On the top sportsman side, Alan Firestone gets the win when Don O'Neill goes double one red out. So Alan had a little bit of a ride on top end with that one as well, but he does get the win. So nicely done, Alan Firestone. Um, 
Looks like he'll be able to put things back together here shortly. But uh, Allen gets the win. Don O'Neill, very, very close second. And then the second round of the Topeka double is Bradley Johnson gets the win over my man Ross Gregory when Ross goes a little bit red there. Gets a really that was pink light, I think, for him. Um, so congrats to Bradley Johnson for winning the top dragster. And then Mike Moorhead gets his first Wally in his first final round on the top sportsman side. So that was a nice event out in Kansas. Glad they got that in before the national event then was ultimately canceled. Then we go to Sonoma. We talked a little bit about this earlier with Kelly Harper, but Jeff Haven gets it done on the top dragster side. Kelly Harper gets it done on the top sportsman side. You heard all about that. And then in the second half of that, your winner and top dragster was Art Hoover. He was 004 in the final, gets his fourth Wally, and adds that to four runner-ups. So Art's lucky number was four. And then on the top sportsman side, Martin Blair gets the win over Joe Rubicek. So good weekend out in Sonoma for everybody, and nicely done to the organizers out there as well. Um, and then let's talk a little bit PDRA. PDRA had their their event. They moved it around a little bit, but got it in and just had a really nice weekend. So on the elite top dragster side, Steve Furr gets over on Kellen Farmer in the final. I mean, two great competitors there. And, um, you know, Steve gets the win. And then on the top sportsman side, your winner was John Benoit. He's your number one qualifier as well. He, he qualified 380 at 200 miles an hour. And that bump for top sportsman elite was a 4007, almost a three second field for the elite top sportsman group there. I mean, it is absolutely flying. And for the first time, I think in a long time, the elite top sportsman actually had a quicker bump than the top dragster group. So, man, that was a, that was a bunch of very fast door cars out there for the PDRA group. And then. And then they, they also have their you know regular top dragster and top sportsman stuff, and, and that, that is becoming wildly popular too. I'm more and more convinced every day that that is the way to run these classes, the elite and then uh, the, the uh, regular. But Ricky Molnar gets the win in top dragster. Stacy Hall gets the win in top sportsman. And think about this. There were 63 total top sportsman cars on the property for PDRA between your elite and your regular group. I mean, that is amazing and uh, and just a great, great show. So congrats to everyone out there in the PDRA. Uh, next week, I'll bring you the NHRA Division Three results from Indy. That starts tomorrow. It was supposed to be a double but uh, it was changed to a single. Uh, then they add the national event on. So we will bring you the results of that next week and get a little more in-depth on your results, uh, hopefully the rest of the summer. But uh, nicely done to everyone who competed in Columbus, Topeka, Sonoma, and in the PDRA. Whoa, let's get out of the groove for a minute, and we have to talk about a class that I don't get overly excited about to talk about that often, and that is Super Comp. And typically we see a dragster parade in the staging lanes, and the winner is usually a 180-mile-per-hour digger coming off a stop that is really hard to argue with in terms of what the template for success is for that class. 
Then came along James Kunkel. James, a longtime hitter on the bracket racing side, said, I want to go about this a little bit different. First of all, I want to take a full-body Lumina door car, and then I'm going to put it on a top-end throttle stop so I trip the beams at less than 130 miles per hour, making sure that there's about a 50-mile-per-hour difference when we're both crossing the stripe, um, you know, James, you're going about this all backwards, brother. And I remember my dad telling me uh, he did a similar thing when he was running super gas and had some success with it. I couldn't quite get behind it when I got in the seat and entered the car. But I I do remember this theory. Um, but James not only did it, but he got really comfortable with it, taking the stripe there, you know, being 50 miles an hour uh, at a speed deficiency than then everybody else crossing the stripe there in Topeka. So he goes to Topeka, does enters the double division vault, and what James does is he goes ahead and he wins 16 rounds in a row to win both Super Comp events in Kansas. Now, first of all, I mean, come on, man. 16 wins in a row in Super Comp is a historic run. Women lose their morals for dudes who win 16 in a row in Super Comp. But James did it with the equivalent of one arm tied behind his back when he staged up in the Lumina. And I'm a fan of the Lumina. But the odds were definitely against him and really any door car winning in Super Comp. But James Kunkel put on an absolute show and trailered all the pipe racks all weekend long. So nicely done, James Kunkel for taking the door car 16 straight rounds in super comp. I never thought I would see the day. All right. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, we're going to talk a little about something we don't always talk about, but most of you know that I live right in between two of the most iconic racetracks on the planet. First of all, the Lucas oil raceway in Brownsburg, Indiana, and then the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Speedway, Indiana, home of the Indy 500. So we, we've got to talk a little bit about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway today. And we've addressed this fact over the year that 2020 has been an absolute mess. The Indy 500 is always run in May, but was bumped back to August this year because of the Rona a disease with a staggering 99.99% survival rate. So, of course, we should shut everything down. And um, the IMS and Roger Penske were going to be cool and just let 25% of the fans into that 300,000-seat joint. But that wasn't good enough for the legions of soccer moms panicking like their minivans auto-shutting doors depended on it. The hand ringers got to Mr. Penske, and he advised earlier this week that there would be no one. Zero, not one, but in the seat at this year's Indy 500. Folks, that is uh, teetering on some economic devastation from this, and it's getting very real. Assuming there is any truth to the NHRA rumors that we talked about earlier, both Brownsburg and Speedway would be absolutely decimated economically. And I know that doesn't hurt um, everyone that is in the listening audience, but 
it is a creep that is could eventually get to all of us. So I have my fingers crossed that there's enough funding to keep this thing going and that somehow we find a way to financially move past this crater of economic loss and get back to it ASAP. But there's going to have to be some real reform from the players that be on the drag racing and all of motorsports side, really, to help the governors and the mayors all understand how distance we can still be and watch the races. Um, Putting zero people in that place just makes no sense to me. But I will say this. All we can do at this point is hunker down economically, support what we love, so that there's data out there to show our sponsors, et cetera, when we come out of this and enjoy the heck out of any opportunity we get to compete and attend our favorite events. Because as of last week, I thought we were still going to have an Indy 500 with some fans in it. I thought, uh, you know, we were going to have all kinds of things to still be able to watch. And you just never can tell when some of that stuff that we love and hold so dearly is going to be taken away from us. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's go ahead. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 52. And you heard it. There it is. We got the wind light. We love it. There is Gloria. Guys, girls, we had a great week this week. First of all, we had no Roadster talk, so that's always good. Then we talked to Kelly Harper, standout top sportsman driver out of Division 7. And another great thing happened this week, and that was Justin Kreider made himself and really the whole state of Pennsylvania better looking this week by picking up some Fast Brackets Nation gear. So be like Justin. Get just get better looking and get your gear simply by hitting me up on Facebook Messenger or by hitting me on uh, my email, fastbrackets at outlook.com. Also, please like and share the Facebook and Twitter pages. Make comments if you don't mind. I would like some feedback to give me a little few better things to talk about other than Bob Lazar next week. I hope you liked today's episode. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. you have a racetrack that seats 300,000 people bro you're only going to let 25% of those people in it's how many miles 500 miles my man and it's the but how whole, big is the track oh the track is two and a half miles wide so you're telling me in two and a half miles you couldn't sit 80,000 people and not social distance these people making decisions man they're they're clueless and I think really just aren't they're just making blanket statements right and that's what happens every time and i don't have to tell you every time the government gets involved they they make just these blanket decisions and it's really pretty frustrating i've been in the government i know you have they're not very smart (laughs) 
say no more.